Today's sermon text is Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 21. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. This is God's word. Amen. Thank you, Steve. That last verse just, uh, man, gets me. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. I'm not sure I would have wanted that job. To walk into that kind of uncertainty, that kind of fear, wow, we, we, I picture God as sort of like grandpa, you know, get up on my lap, kiddo. And here God is portrayed as thunderings and lightning and loud noise and darkness, man. Um, in that spirit, welcome to Renewal Church, everybody. <laughs> 
Welcome to Renewal. Just praise God. We're going to go ahead and conclude our services this morning. Um, uh, welcome to Renewal, everybody. My name is Chris Bennett, and uh, I'm the lead pastor here and one of our elders. And it's so, so, such a privilege to be with you today. Um, we're in a series right now called Finally Home. And the idea driving this series is that in our world, where we are, we have this infectious draw to be alone, to go it alone, the scriptures scream at us that God is not interested in just building you up and changing you and me as much as he is interested in weaving our lives together so that we become a safe community where people can be broken, where people can be dysfunctional, where people can even sin and be loved. And I'm not putting a period there, comma, and be encouraged to trust Jesus and repent and change. I don't know many churches like this. I don't say that judgmentally. I don't think our church is there yet. But there aren't many churches like this where people have experienced the Bible's vision for church. But I will say this about our church. This is our chief goal. Our chief goal is to be the kind of church where no matter what your brokenness is, this is a safe place to be known and loved and encouraged and for someone, some people to come alongside of you and walk with you and even you in your brokenness for you to come alongside people and walk with them. Don't get mad at us when we're knuckleheads sometimes. We will be because we're all broken. That's what that means. We are. This is what we're talking about. What on earth does that have to do with the Ten Commandments? Um, I think every one of us, or maybe a lot of us maybe, would like like a one-off on disobeying the law of the land, wouldn't you? Like if I could just one time have one crime that I would commit, I don't know if that would feel awesome, but it would take care of a lot of, a lot of stuff, I think. One time, if I could punch somebody in the face and nobody would get mad at me, except that person, but they couldn't do anything because that, that's my one-off. Um, one time, if I could take something that rightfully belongs to me, one time, if I could, I don't know, in the dark recesses of our hearts, what is it that we really, really, really want to do that violates God's law, violates the law of our land. I think that would be pretty awesome. It'd be pretty cool to be able to do it just one time, Lord. And of course, everybody would be like, when am I going to use that one time? And then there are people who are like, I don't care if I get one or not. I'm just going to do it anyway. So uh, we, I think, but I don't think you've ever heard someone say this on the contrary. I wish there was no law. I wish there weren't rules. Now, I know young people say that a lot. Like, they don't know what they're talking about. They're, they, they don't get the implications of that. 
But most logical thinking, rational people would not say, I wish there were no laws because that means that somebody could hurt me whenever they wanted to. I don't want that to happen. Now, you, if you're cynical, you're sitting there saying, well, don't you know that with laws, Memphis still has a lot of crime? Yes. Yes, I do. I'm not, I'm not naive. But I also know that without the rule of law, this city and every other city on planet Earth, because no city is better than any other, because they all have a story they come out of. Without the rule of law, our society would descend into absolute chaos. And so even though the law isn't perfect, and even though the law is not justly enforced... We all are still thankful, whether we feel warm fuzzies for it or not, we're all still thankful for the law. Without it, society would be nuts. I dare say that without the rule of law, some of us may not be sitting here right now. What if transgressors, tormentors in your past could have done whatever they wanted to hurt you? Some of you may not be here right now. I may not be here right now. I don't know. We all know that law, and I'm not talking about rule keeping in order to gain God's favor. That's not what I'm talking about here. We'll talk about Old Testament, New Testament, and how that breaks down in a little bit. But I'm talking about generally speaking the law. We all know that the law is good. There is a general uh, sanctity and peace in our society because of this. And this is why... God gave the Ten Commandments to the Israelites. This is why. The Ten Commandments that Steve just read is the foundation of Israelite law, and it was a gift from God. It was a gift. It was God's cherished gift to the Israelites. Let me explain it this way. Most of us, when we think about the Ten Commandments, or any kind of don't do this or do this in the Bible, thou shalt nots or thou shalts, anytime we think of that, because many of us have grown up in the church, we think of it primarily as a moral command. And if you hold to this moral command, then you will be a good boy or a good girl, and things will be good between you and God, and you'll get into heaven one day. That's how most people interpret and digest this kind of teaching. But that is not what is happening here or any other place in Scripture. That's not what's happening here. You see, Israel, if you remember anything about the Israelites, and for those of you who don't, I'll tell you. It was just a couple of months earlier that Israel was freed from Egyptian slavery. And it wasn't just them who were slaves in Egypt, but their parents were slaves there. Their grandparents were slaves there. Their great-grandparents were slaves there. The only thing that the Hebrews knew was slavery and bondage. That's the only thing that they knew. That was it. That's all they knew. They were formed by torment. They were formed in the crucible of unjust treatment. And so God raises up Moses as as their deliverer. And maybe you know the story. He goes into Pharaoh and tells Pharaoh, let my people go. And after a series of ten horrific plagues that God sends upon Egypt, Pharaoh finally allows the Israelites to move on. 
But then he tries to chase him down, overcome by his own wrath and fury and irrational sin and pride. And God finally defeats the, uh, the Egyptians once and for all by drowning them in the Red Sea. It was after this that Israel is heading toward their final destination, which is the land of promise, that they begin to experience some things. How are we going to eat out here? We feel abandoned by God. There's no food. It was better in Egypt. Moses goes to God and says, God, what do I tell these people who are ungrateful? And God says to him, here's what's going to happen. I am going to rain from heaven every day this substance that's like a dew. When it's gathered together off the rocks, you can form these clumps of like sweet bread and I will do this every single day. Tell them not to scrounge together a bunch because if they wait and try to eat it the next day, it'll stink and mildew and rot. I will be faithful every day to feed them. And then they come to this place where they have no water. And they say, Lord, we have no water. We have nothing to drink. And there was this, this pond or this lake called Meribah. And so God, what he does is he changes the bitter poisonous waters into nourishing waters and Israel is able to drink. The story that God is telling us in the book of Exodus is slavery. God loves his people. He leads them out and calls his people in their newfound freedom into this darkness, this uncertainty. And he says, trust me every day. And sometimes being in slavery, because it's more reliable and you can count on it, and it's predictable, sometimes we want to go back because trusting God hurts at times. The uncertainty, not knowing, will God really come through for me? Sometimes that's just too stressful. And it would be better just to be in a dysfunctional relationship full of pain when I at least know that I have some level of control. I know what's coming. I know how to get ready for it. This is the story of Israel. And then God takes them, and God knows this dysfunction in their lives. He knows that despite the fact that Israel has seen incredible miracles, water turning to blood, and it wasn't just the Nile that turned to blood. If they had a jar in their little huts, and they opened that jar that had water previously, it would have stunk with blood. Every drop of water in Egypt had turned to blood. They saw incredible miracles. That specter of the Spirit of God covering, hovering over the land of Egypt and slaying every firstborn who did not have the blood of the Lamb smeared on the doorposts. They saw this. They watched Moses raise his rod and the Red Sea divide. And they walked over on dry land, not mud dry land between two massive walls of water. At least that's how I see it in my mind's eye. They watched as they looked over their shoulder. Sorry, Denise, I just spit on you bad. Uh, As they looked over their shoulder, as they look over their shoulder, and they see the Egyptian armies chasing them, still wondering, God, are you faithful? And watching those two walls of water collapse and annihilate the Egyptian armies. Later, when you get to the book of Joshua, 
this prostitute named Rahab in another country says, yeah, we heard about you. This is 40 years later. We heard about you people. We've been scared ever since we heard about you. For 40 years, we've been waiting. The implication, we've been waiting for you to come and take us over. Yet, these same people needed more than God to show up and show out. They needed something else that would forever lead to their transformation. They had to be broken of their affinity for their slave-mindedness. They had to learn to think of themselves differently. They had to look at God differently. The only God that they really knew were the many gods of the pagans, the Egyptians, and all of their idolatry and their idols and their shrines. They had to be introduced to the God of those three guys that they heard about for the last 400 years that they don't really know anything about, though. Those guys, um, uh, what are their names again? Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. People that were more like myths to them than real spiritual fathers, patriarchs of their ethnic group. And so God carries them, leads them to Mount Sinai, And he tells Moses, I am going to bless you. You are in covenant with me. You are my people. Now notice something here. This is the Old Testament. Before they ever did anything to earn anything from God, and they never really did, they were already loved by God. They were already chosen by God. God simply said, I want you to obey me and follow me. And so Moses goes back to the people and says, okay, here's the deal. God's going to speak to me and you are going to do what I say. And they knew it was okay to do that because God said to Moses in the previous chapter, chapter 20, when I speak to you, it's going to be really loud. There's going to be lightning and darkness and fire and smoke. So they'll know I'm talking, that you're not making this stuff up. So Moses says, okay. And so then we come to the Ten Commandments. And these are not, my friends, the Ten Rules on how to be a good Christian. That's not what these are. You see, the Israelites had no constitution. The Israelites were a new kind of ethnic group. Now, I know I'm doing a lot of teaching here, guys. I know it's a bit warm. But there's a bunch of y'all doing this right now. And you look really foolish. (laughs) Slap yourself. Just slap yourself. Everybody slap yourself. All right, come on. Come on. Join me in God's word today, would you? Join me. This isn't my ego crying out to be assuaged here. I, need, I want you to be fed from this. Join me, my friends. Come with me. Don't make me do the work today. Don't make me change you. I can't. I can't change you. Only Jesus can. Let us come together and feast on God's word. Lean forward. Slap yourself. Have your wife dig her nails into your knee. Do whatever it takes. Stab yourself in the leg with a pen. That might help. You know, something like that. But stay with me, my friends. I really want you to get this. This is so, so good. But oftentimes, the teaching of God's word can be dull and boring until the penny drops when it all comes together. Be okay with that. Be okay with that. You got all nice and pretty. Don't drive here for nothing just to sleep. Don't do that. Don't do that. Be with me today. Be with me today. I really want to be with you. Um, I view the preaching of God's word as a relationship. Let's be together today. Um, So God gave Israel their constitution. 
He gave Israel their rule of law. He gave Israel the binding documents that is going to make them formally a nation, a country. Because Israel left slavery, they had no presidents, no vice presidents, they had no congress, they had none of that stuff. They didn't have judges, they didn't have rules to follow. They could have been killing each other all the way from Egypt to the Red Sea and beyond and there would have been no recourse to appeal to some higher authority. They had no law. And so God said, I want to gather you Israelites together and I want to give you the basis of law that is going to make you a nation. And so I just want to briefly go through those for a few minutes and then I'll tie this all together, hopefully, at the end. And we're all asking Holy Spirit speak to our hearts, right? Okay, so... Ten Commandments, we get down to the Constitution of Israel. Everybody say, would you say Constitution? When you think of Ten Commandments, think of Constitution. This is, these are the founding documents of the Israelite nation. And God says this in, in, in the first, couple, first three verses. He says, I delivered you from the Egyptians. What's the implication there? Humbly obey me. Be grateful to me. I am your God. I'm your God, not Ra, not Marduk, Persian God. None of those gods are your gods. I am your God. So humbly submit to me. Your life belongs to me. Look at what I've done to you, the implication is. Look at how I've led you. Look at how I heard your cry in pain, and I didn't leave you there. I know you think I came too late. Don't we always? But I came. Trust me. It's the first several verses. And in those first three verses, he lists the first commandment, the first part of their constitution. You shall have no other gods before me. In other words, humbly obey me. Because I'm your God and I love you and I rescued you, obey me and follow me no matter what. Obey me. Look at the second commandment. You can read about that in verses 4 through 6. He says, have no carved images. Now, I know a lot of us are like, you know, I don't really have carved images. I don't bow down to shrines or funky little, little gods or goddesses. I don't do that. How does that relate to me? You've got to understand that these Ten Commandments weren't given in a void. God didn't just think, hmm, what are, let's do ten. Twelve? No, ten. Ten, yeah, ten. We'll do ten. And in these ten, let's see, what could we, what could we put in those ten? Jesus, Holy Spirit, come here. Let's talk about this. Uh, ten, let's see, uh, maybe adultery or something. And that sounds good. Uh, he's not, this is, there's, this is very deliberate on why God gave these particular commandments to the Israelites. All of the ethnic groups and nations around them all had their own carved images. Now remember, okay. I feel a little fear going here because I'm going a little bit deeper, but I think you guys can do this. You guys can do this. I had somebody tell me one time, when I go to church, I want to just have a couple of points given to me and so I can get me, get me through the next week. And I said to the person, I said, yeah, but the problem with that is is that Paul wrote 16 chapters to the Roman church who were barely literate, and they expected that to be read out loud. God wants to give us more than a couple of points. And they had no children's ministry or nursery back then. just want to say that too. So, uh, so, so going back to Genesis, the first five books of Mo- the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, everybody help me, Genesis, Exodus, come on, I get your minds involved, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. No, okay, all these five books were written by Moses. Guess who they were written to? 
the Israelites in the wilderness. So these newly freed slaves are hearing the book of Genesis. And in Genesis 1, Yahweh is reminding Moses and the children of Israel, you were made in my image. You are my idols. Don't bow down before carved idols. Don't make those things. You are my idols because you bear my image. You look like me. If people want to know what I'm like, they don't need to look at a block of wood. They need to look at you. And this is why God needed to change the way that the Israelites looked themselves because they saw themselves as slaves. God wanted to see themselves as liberated and free and bearing the image of God and continuing to push the mandate that God gave Adam. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. Take over. You are my children. Fill the earth with my glory. So you'll have no carved images because you are my idol. Say, I'm God's idol. I am. I show people what God looks like. I do. No idols. And then he says in the next one, and in verse 7, next commandment, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Let me, let me tell you something about this time. They did not have a problem with people saying the ultimate cuss word back then. They spoke Hebrew. They did not speak English. They were not saying, unless I'm treading on thin ice here. They did not say the GD cuss word. Nobody said that. Nobody said, like, gosh, a byword of God in anger. People didn't do that. What they did do was they would say, if they were interacting with a friend, or doing business with someone, they would say, they would claim the name of their God in order to bring legitimacy to their businesses, to what, what they were trying to do. They might try to appeal to God to manipulate someone and control a relationship. And God says, don't you dare speak for me and apply my name and my authority to something that you're doing. How could that relate to us today? Maybe we'd be a little less liberal and saying stuff like God said this and God said that and God told me to tell you this and God told me to tell you that. Maybe we'd be a little less liberal and have a little bit more of the fear of God in our lives. And so because I'm a person who believes that God speaks today, I'm not going to go up to somebody and say, Amy, God told me to tell you this. Here's what I might say. Hey, Amy, I've been praying for you. I feel like the Holy Spirit might have whispered something to me that you need to hear. At the end of the day, this is between you and God because I'm not sure. I don't know. So if this bears witness with you, awesome. Be encouraged. If not, hit delete and throw it away. It's all good. What's wrong with saying that? Because if I go up to somebody and say, hey, the Lord told me to tell you this, if that person is a little less mature than me and maybe a little weaker than me, they might feel really controlled and manipulated by that. I've known people to make major life decisions that were terrible because somebody said the Lord said to do this. So let's not take the name of the Lord in vain. God does not want people doing that in his society. 
Remember, this is the Constitution, okay? So then you've got the fourth commandment, or the Sabbath keeping. We need to cultivate rhythms of rest and worship in our lives. How does this speak to all of us today? How does this speak to all of us? In a day and age in which people are, are going, to, they, 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 there's data out there that says that your most faithful members are going to services on Sundays twice a month. I'm not trying to fuss at anybody for not being at church this week or last week or the week before. That's not my point. But we, we are in a society where we need to recognize that people's commitment to gathering with believers in the local church is diminishing more and more and more and more. And yeah, we don't feel the sting of that now, but our children will when they go to church two or three times a year. And then their grandchildren. We're creating a legacy of a growing non-commitment to the body of Jesus. All of these laws the Bible talks about. And then you get down to the bottom set of laws. Skip over a couple here. You've got commandments against murder, against committing adultery, against stealing, against bearing false witness. Why would, why would God say in the foundational documents of Israel, don't bear false witness? Because back in those days... Back in those days, maybe you've read in the, in the Old Testament where it talks about how there's judgments and rulers and judges that sit at the gates of a city or a town. You ever read that? Back in those days, in a, a little town or a city, the tribal leader of that town would sit at the gates of that city. And people would come and bring their suits against one another to that tribal leader, and he would adjudicate matters. And so that's why he says, don't bear false witness. When you have a, a court going on and someone is ruling over matters between you and someone else, make sure that the judicial process is accurate and, in, and, and, and full of integrity. All of these laws have been given by God so that the Israelite nation can develop and experience order and not experience chaos so they can experience love for one another and love for God. That's why this was given. That's why. Now, here's what's crazy, and I'm going to finish up with this. Here's what's interesting. Everybody okay? Slap yourself in the face. Exodus 19, I said this a while ago. The Bible says this, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. So let me tell you some things about Israel that's, that are big, okay? First is this. The Israelites saw proof that God was directing Moses. They saw proof that God was directing him. Thunder, clouds, fire, all that stuff. Here's the next one, just three. In Exodus 24, 9 through 11, in Exodus 24, 9 through 11, God gives the foundational documents of the law to Moses, the Constitution. And then he says this, I want you to come up the mountain, bring your leaders with you, and we're going to ratify this Constitution. We're going to shake on it. We're in covenant together. And so they do that. Now listen to this, what it says in Exodus 24, 9 through 11. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu... And 70 of the elders went up and they saw the God of Israel. So they saw God. 
Whoa. There was, now listen to this verse. I've never heard anybody ever preach on this. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone. Now listen to this next phrase. Like the very heaven for clearness. Is that not a, a awkwardly worded statement? Under God is a pavement of sapphire stone. And they could have said it's really, really clear. But he says, uh, what does he say? Where is it? Like the very heaven for clearness. And look at this verse in 11. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel, meaning God did not kill them for being in his presence. And behold, and they beheld God and ate and drank. I love that phrase. They beheld God and they were eating and drinking. There's God. Wow, that's God. That's God. Eating and drinking. Whoa. That was an awesome dinner. (laughs) Man, that must have been an awesome dinner. So Israel's leaders feasted in God's revealed presence. Whoa. God's revealed presence. Check this out. If you get to Exodus 24, this is interesting. Moses enters the cloud on the mountain, goes up for 40 days. Now remember, everybody, what have the Israelites seen from God? They've seen crazy things. Going all the way back to Egypt, what did they see? Y'all talk to me. What what have the Israelites seen? Frogs, tons of frogs. What else? Locusts, boils. Ooh, that one gets me, boils. What else? What? What? Flies. Y'all were saying fire and flies at the same time. It sounded like you were saying fly, flyers. So anyway, um, fries. (laughs) Um, What else have they seen? What? What? Blood, darkness, crazy miracles, signs. What else did they see after that? Okay. Splitting the Red Sea, death of the firstborn. What else else after that? Fire by night, the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud, the manna. What else? What? Water from the rock. What else? Quail. I mean, God, God, they've seen the craziest things you could ever see. And Moses goes away for over a month. (laughs) And the widow Israelites, they don't know what to do. And so this is what happens. Look at 32, 1 through 4. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain... The people gathered gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Aaron, the guy who was with Moses, who spoke for Moses to Pharaoh, he had front seats to signs and wonders. They go to him and said to him, up, up. Don't talk to your preacher that way, by the way. Make us gods who shall go before us. Make us some gods who will lead us. 
As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. God has failed us. We don't know what to do. That's incredible. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf, a common pagan god or deity back then. And they said, they said, everybody gathered around this golden cap and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So what is the story of Exodus? I won't be the first preacher to say this. You can take the people out of Egypt, but you can't always get the Egypt out of the people. So what was God's response to that? To do more miracles? To let them feel his presence? No. God gave them a constitution that if they rooted themselves in his word and in his ways, it would lead to lasting change and cause them to think about themselves differently. True and lasting change happens in the context of a society of believers. My friends, deep inner transformation is largely acquired by the spirit-guided formation of new habits and new ways. We're going to leave that up there for a minute. We want you to meditate on this. These newly formed God habits give us the strength we need to keep us from returning to the old familiar dysfunctions we used to run to when we felt alone or abandoned. Y'all just leave that up there for the next few minutes. Can you, all, can you fit it all up there? Kind of. I'll read it again. We're almost done. Deep inner transformation is largely acquired by the spirit-guided formation. I'm not talking about keeping law being a good boy, following the rules. That's not what I'm talking about. We are not talking about doing things to cause God to love us. If we have faith in Jesus, God loves us eternally. We belong to him. Nothing can break God's grip of love on our lives. So that's how we have to take this to the New Testament here, the new covenant. But the story, the point remains the same. Just because we're new covenant people and have the spirit inside of us doesn't mean we can just like do church services and and God will change me if it's his will. God will fix me. God still expects us to live lives that bring glory to him in which we obey him and honor him. So I'm going to say this again. Deep inner transformation is largely acquired by the spirit-guided formation of new habits and new ways. These newly formed God habits give us the strength 
We need to keep us from returning to the old familiar dysfunctions we used to run to when we felt alone or abandoned. Because guys, let's be honest. We run to our old ways when we're feeling alone. We run to our old ways when we feel abandoned. We run to our old ways when we feel sad. We run to our old ways when we're angry. We run to our old ways when we feel shame. We run, we run hard. We run hard. I've got a dear friend, not in this church, not pastoring, but told me recently, he's going through a terrible trial with people in his life. He's a recovering alcoholic. He said, Chris, I badly want to drink tonight. I badly do. Badly. I get that. I get wanting to run back to the old things that brought us a sense of healing. But it's not true. It's not true. We are going to feel alone at times. We're going to feel abandoned at times. Our hope, the scriptures tell us, is that day when Jesus returns and we will see him as clearly as he sees us. And there will be no more temptation. There will be no more sin. But more than all of that, we will know each other. We will see through each other. We will be safe with each other. We will love each other without being undermined by gossip, jealousy, anger, lust. But that day is not here yet, my friends. And so there are going to be times where we have to fight. There are going to be times where we have to resist that truth, that truth, that story that we need to run back to the old. And if there's anything that this text tells us, I believe this text helps, to, helps us to see the entire body of Scripture. God has called us together as a body of believers to make us a new kind of country, a new kind of nation. We cannot do this alone. The growth that you're looking for, the maturity in your, that, you, that evades you, I believe, after 20 years of full-time ministry, and I'm not the authority on this, but I've got a lot of experience, 20 years of full-time ministry, looking out over lots of people, I have found one of my chief observations is that people who are the most stunted by stubborn sin are the people who often push back on real, vulnerable community. God did not send his son Jesus to make you a great Christian. God sent his son Jesus to build the church where our lives are woven together. And we live under Jesus' rule, under his constitution, under his. What does that require, that quote I put up there, that statement? It requires faith in God. It requires work, committed work. Work is not the opposite of the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite statements, I've said this a hundred times, I'll say it a hundred more. 
Dallas Willard, great Dallas Willard says this, that God is opposed to earning, but not to effort. This requires work. This requires patience because the journey is long. Lightnings and flashes did not change the Israelites, but submitting to God over a lifetime did. This requires a stubborn grasp on Jesus' grace, my dear friends. So I beseech you, be kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself. And as I've said already, this requires community. Because God is not building you. He's building us. He's building us. Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for your mercy. Lord, I pray that as we depart today, after we take the Lord's Supper, that we would meditate on this, let this take root in our thinking, and grow. We need you. And I pray grace over each person here in Jesus' name. Amen.